gift she had You washed her soul with her tears Though more than a thousand years have passed I still weep at how much That a woman's just like me Wasn't that a beautiful song? And Taylor is a wonderful singer, too. I mean, it is a blessing how she sings. Because you know what? Taylor would sing if there was one person there in the audience. Let's say uh, that's all there was, just one person. She'd do it because she's not singing for people. She's singing for the Lord. Amen. 
Now we are here, we're along for the ride. We get the blessing from her beautiful song, but that's what it's all about. And when we come to church, it's not just about the people, it's about coming to Christ. He's here, and we're thankful for that. And we're thankful for all those that use their talents to serve the Lord. Shall we just open in a word of prayer? Father, tonight, or this morning, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your presence, and we pray that you will speak to our hearts through your word. We thank you that every Sunday long before we're coming through those doors, you're here waiting for us, and we thank you that where two or three are gathered together in your name, there you are in the midst. And we thank you, Father, and we pray for your Son to be glorified today. Just hide me behind the cross, Lord. I need you so much, and I pray that you'll lead me by the Holy Spirit and that you will... Teach us something that we need to learn. Show us, Lord, things about you and about ourselves and how we should live for you in this world. And so we thank you. And thank you for Taylor and her, her song today. And just pray, Lord, that you will lead us and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Last night, I got the notification that Adel wasn't going to be, be here. So I said, I guess I'll know what I'll be doing Saturday night. <clears throat> Not the regular things I'm going to be doing. I'm going to prepare the message. So I started reading the Word, and I started meditating on the Word, and the Lord gave me a passage. So may the Lord touch our hearts uh, through His Word uh, this morning. You know, there was once a mountain climber who was at the base of the Swiss Alps, and he, and, and he fell to his death and it was a tragic death. He fell to his death, and they put a plaque there at the bottom of the Alps, and it says, he died climbing. He died climbing. And when you think about that, he was doing something he loved. He was giving his life to that. But as Christians, we should be the same. We should die climbing. We should, we should give our all to Christ. We should give him all. We should serve him with all the strength and talents and abilities that he has because he's worth it. He's worthy of that. And when we get home to heaven and he welcomes us and he says, well done, good and faithful servant, that's going to mean all the difference in the world. But you know, it's so sad when you look around at the church today about some of the things that go on in churches. You see skits, you see plays, you see uh, music, uh, loud music, and you see all these things going on, and yet how much of their time during the meetings nowadays is given to preaching the Word of God? Very little. It seems less and less. But we praise God in our church that every Sunday that we have a message from the Word of God. And it'll never happen. You're going to come and sit down and we're going to open up another book or we're going to talk about another subject that's not biblical. No, it's not going to happen. Or as Sonny says, it ain't going to happen, right? It ain't going to happen. Not from this pulpit, not from this church. It isn't going to happen at all. But you know, if, if God was to write an epath, epitaph for each one of us this morning, what would he write on that? You know, it, if you come to the end of your life and you've, you've finished the course, you've finished the race, it's all over and done, what would God say about you? What would he put? What words would he use? How, what it, would he express about your life? And some people thought of some possibilities about it. He never returned my love. Wouldn't that be sad if God said that about, about us? He never returned my love. After all I did for him, I, I loved him and he never showed that love back. That would be sad. 
or she loved this world more than me. That would be tragic. That would be sad also because the world out there, it's not worth loving. But Christ is worth loving. But can you imagine if he said, she loved this world more than me? Or if he said this, he never used the gifts I gave him. Can you imagine if Sean and Lydia got all these wedding gifts and they had them all brought over, and then say about a, a year later, two years, we go over and visit at their house, they have us over for dinner, and we see this big pile of gifts, maybe piled high, stacked away, and none of them open, and none of them apparently ever being used, wouldn't that be a sad thing? We'd say, wow, they're not very appreciative of these beautiful gifts. <laughs> and, we, and we'd say, wow, that's amazing, right? But they're going to use them. You are going to use them. <clears throat> but can you imagine God looking down on us and seeing us not using the gifts and the talents that he gives us? He says, Dave, I've given you the ability. Matt, I've given you the strength. Sophia, I've given you the, the talents and the skills. He wants us to use them. He doesn't want us to store those gifts away or like in the scripture references in the Gospels where you, you take that gift and you put it in a napkin or you bury it in the ground. No, he wants us to use it. He wants us to use the talents and skills and abilities he's given to us. Or suppose he said this, she made her own choices. Wouldn't that be sad? We lived our life for ourselves. We made our own choices. We made our own decisions. We didn't consult the Lord about anything. We didn't pray about it. We just did it our way, and we went about it that way. That would be a sad thing as well on an epitaph. How about this? His life goal is, or was, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? We see that in the world all the time, don't we? What's in it for me? But you know what? It sometimes infiltrates in the church. I'm only going to come to church if so-and-so is speaking. Or I'm only going to come to church if I get to do this or I get to do that. That's not what Christianity is about. It's not about us. It's not about our wishes, our will, our desire. It's about his will. It's about what he wants us to do. Another person says, he was a cheerful taker. You know, the Bible talks about being a cheerful giver. This guy was a cheerful taker. Oh, I'll be glad to take that. I'll be glad. Oh, yes. Cheerful taker, not a cheerful giver. How about this one? He did it his way. You know, Frank Sinatra sang that song, I did it my way. I did it my way. Where is Frank Sinatra today, by the way? If he doesn't know Christ, and we don't think he is, he's, he's apart from the presence of God in hell forever because he did it his way. We have to do it God's way. The gospel is God's way, that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, down to this world to die for us and give his life. And if we accept him as our Savior, we repent of our sins, believe in him, take him into our heart, we have everlasting life. There's not a better decision you can make. And if you haven't made that decision yet, today's the day to make that decision to accept Christ. Then you can live your life for him and you can serve him and have a great life. May the Lord encourage us today as we look into his word. We're going to talk today about the subject of revival. You know, through the centuries since the church was born on Pentecost, through to the present time, there have been revivals. 
There have been revivals where people have gotten saved. There have been revivals where Christians have rededicated their lives to Christ. And it's taken hold. And I'd like to ask you a question today. How many people does it take to constitute a revival? 50? 100? 500? 1,000? I have a different answer for you. It takes one. It takes one person to have a revival, to start a revival. And that person, I want to be me. I want it to be you. I want the revival to start. And we all need revival in our lives. It's so easy to say if you preach a message on revival, it's, it's good for brother so-and-so. It's good for sister so-and-so. I'm so glad they're here to hear this message. No, it's good for me. And every finger that points is pointing back at me. I need revival. We need revival. And no matter who you are or how long you've been saved, a long time or a little time, we need God's Holy Spirit to come in a powerful way and revive us. Remember when you first got saved, how excited you were and how you loved the Lord and how you were like Sean and Lydia. You were in love with Jesus and you couldn't wait to come to church. You couldn't wait to pick up your Bible and read it. You couldn't wait to pray. You couldn't wait to tell your relatives about Christ. You were excited about it. There was enthusiasm. You were happy and joyful. And then as time goes by and the trials come and the years add up and the difficulties, has that got us off track? Have we lost that spirit of joy? David said in Psalm 51, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Not just salvation. We'll never lose that salvation, but we can lose the joy of the salvation. We can allow things and problems and sins and mistakes and all these things to interfere with our relationship to Christ, and we shouldn't let him do it. We shouldn't let the devil have his way at all. Don't give him an inch because he'll take a mile. We want to allow the Holy Spirit to have free reign in our hearts to revive us. The scripture says, revive us, O Lord, according to your word. And when we get into the word and we allow the Spirit of God to speak to us, he will revive us. He is ready to pour out a blessing. We sometimes sing that hymn, showers of blessing, showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers we plead. We don't want a little few raindrops. We want his spirit to pour out huge monsoons. I know over in uh, Sri Lanka, they were in the monsoon season, right? You get a lot of rain in the monsoon season. We need monsoon rains of spiritual blessing in our world today, in our church today, for God to pour out his, his spirit because he wants to pour it out. And he wants to pour it out on a dry and thirsty land. Sometimes our hearts are like that dry and thirsty land. And we need to get in the word and we need to allow the spirit of God to, to speak to our hearts. And yet we're so busy. We live in a microwave age where everything is fast and quick and packaged. And I'll read this quick little devotional and out the door I go. And that doesn't work. If you want God to bring revival to your life, you've got to spend time in his word. You've got to meditate on his word. You've got to memorize his word. And I thank the Lord for the memory class that we have on Sunday mornings. Dear Brother Jim is sick today. We didn't have it, but it's a great class, and we, and we memorize the word of God. And then when you're in a pinch, and you're in, you've got problems, and you've got difficulty, the spirit of God will bring those verses back to encourage your heart. And he wants to do it 
in our lives. If you'll turn with me this morning to the book of Jeremiah chapter 2. The book of Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah was a young man when God called him in chapter 1. And he said, Lord, who am I? I'm just a youth. How am I going to do this great calling, this great ministry that you've called me to speak to Israel? And God says, I'm going to put my words in your mouth so that when you speak those words to the Israelites, those aren't going to be your words. They're my words. And that's always our desire, that God would speak directly to us through his word, through his servant, and would have a message for us. We'll begin reading at verse 9 and read through verse 13. Reading from the New King James, Therefore I will yet bring charges against you, says the Lord, and against your children's children I will bring charges. For pass beyond the coasts of Cyprus and see, send to Kedar and consider diligently and see if there has been such a thing. This verse is amazing. Has a nation changed its gods, which are not gods? But my people have changed their glory for what does not profit. Be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. May God bless the reading of his word. You know, when you get arrested, and Brad can testify to this because he was in the law enforcement industry for quite a while, you have an arraignment, and you're taken before the judge, and at the arraignment, they will read the charges against the defendant. That's called the indictment. They open up the indictment, and they read it. These are the charges, and the judge says, how do you plead? Guilty? Or not guilty. Now, most people are going to plead not guilty, and you know they're as guilty as sin, but their lawyer, tell, their lawyer tells them, Dave tells his client, he's, he says, don't plead guilty. We've got to go to court on this, and you get a fair trial and so forth, and we believe in the judicial system. But you know, when God brings an indictment, nobody can say not guilty. Because when it comes to sin, and when it comes to that, we are guilty. Every one of us are sinners guilty, and that's why we need to come to Christ and accept his free gift of salvation and eternal life, and then we can be forgiven of our sins. But here in this chapter, the Lord is bringing charges against Judah. He's bringing charges against his people. He's so sad because he says, I can't believe the way you have lived your life, because look what God had given to them. First of all, he caused them to be a great nation. While in Egypt, he delivered them from the slavery of Egypt, which is a symbol of sin. He delivered them from Pharaoh, who was the king over Egypt, who is a symbol of Satan. Do you see the parallels here with our lives today? And then he redeemed them. And then he took them through the Red Sea. And he brought them through the wilderness for 40 years, providing from their needs of Manna to eat, quail to eat, water from a rock. He did all these miracles for them, and yet all they did was complain. Grumbled and complained and grumbled and complained, and God had it up to here so many times with them. But over and over, he was patient, he forgave them, he forgave them over and over and over again, until finally, though, it just got to be too much, 
and he brought captivity to them, and they were in Babylon, in a Babylonian captivity for 70 years. But he says, I bring these charges against you, and I bring them against your children's children, because you've rejected me. You've rejected my word. I've given you all these blessings and all these things, and yet you've taken the blessings, you've used them. They, yeah, they opened the gifts, all right, and they used them, but they didn't thank the Lord for them, and they didn't live for the Lord, and they got further and further away from the Lord, and they started worshiping idols, false gods. In the scriptures and Psalms, it said these, these false gods had eyes, but they couldn't see. They had ears, these false gods, but they couldn't hear. They had noses, these false gods, but they couldn't smell. They had feet, but they couldn't walk. They had hands, but they couldn't do anything. These, these false gods are dead gods. And the Israelites had said, we're going to switch gods. We're going to change over. We're going to make a trade. We're going to trade the living God for these dead idols. And that somehow made sense to them. How our hardened hearts, our sinful hearts, can think that's a good deal? to change gods like that? After a loving God had given them everything, he had saved them, he had given them provisions and help and all these things, and they say, what has he done for me lately? What has he done for me lately? And they started worshiping the gods of all the Amorites and all the people of the land of Canaan, and they got further and further away from the Lord. Look at verse 11. It says, has a nation changed its gods which are not gods? But my people have changed their glory for what does not profit. Can you imagine making a barter like that, making a trade like that? Those of us who enjoy sports like to hear sometimes about players getting traded. And, and some of them are so upset because they get traded from their team to another team, and some are happy to get out of that one team and go to another team. But let's say you make a trade, and you, you work it out. Mike's the general manager of one team. Alan's the general manager of the other. And Mike says, I got a player I'd like to trade to you, Alan. And you know he can really help your team out a lot. And I'm going to give you so-and-so in his place. And OK, we'll make the trade. And then let's say you find out in that trade that that player that you just got turned out to be a bust. He's terrible. He can't do anything. If he's a baseball player, he strikes out all the time. If he's a football player, he fumbles all the time. And you say, this was not a good trade. But, you know, Mike can't go back to Allen and say, you know, I want to get my player back. And the other one says, no, I, I like the one I've got, but, you know, you have to keep that one. But imagine when you trade God like that. You sell him off. You, you say, he's not worth it. How sad does that make the Lord when he, when he hears that? And sometimes we don't say it ourselves like that out loud, but we actually live our lives that way, like everything else in the world is more important than, to, than the Lord is. And that's really sad when that gets to be that way in our lives. And when that comes to pass in our lives, we need revival, personal revival. We need to see what's really important in life is not all the toys and all the things of this world because they're all going to pass away. It's the Lord Jesus that counts. He's our Savior. He, we love Him. And if He came to you this morning and says, I'll give you a choice. You can have this million dollars. I'll give it to you right now, tax-free million. No, let's say 10 million, Shauna. We're going to give you 10 million. Would you take that with the caveat that you have to take it 
and you can never go to church again, you can never follow the Lord again. Wouldn't that be a sad barter if, if she took that deal? She wouldn't do it. None of us would do it. But here, this is what the Israelites were doing. And sometimes in our lives, we can allow things to come up. We can think, maybe that car is more important than it is. That house is more important than it is. Those clothes are more important than they are. And we allow those things to gain a, a foothold in our life. And pretty soon, coming to the meetings is not as important. Reading the Word is not as important. The Lord is not as important in our lives as He should be. Because He wants to have first place. He wants a preeminent place. Not just a high place, but the highest place in our life. And there's room on the throne of our hearts for only one at a time. Either Christ is on the throne or we're on the throne. And it's, that's the choice. And if we're on the throne, look out because we're going to make some horrible, terrible decisions when we're in control. I mean, it's obvious. If you ever make your own decision and realize that it wasn't God's will, it's the most lonely, discouraging, sad, disappointing thing to realize that you made a decision outside the will of God and, you know what, may have to live with the consequences of that decision. That's the scary part. God can forgive us. He will forgive us. But sometimes we have to live with the consequences of that decision for our rest of our lives. That's why we need to be true to him and true to his word and true to his will and say, Lord, let your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. And that's what these people in Israel had failed to do, to fail to do God's will. And it says that God was even surprised. that It says the heavens are astonished. Be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord. When he says, be astonished, O heavens, I think he's thinking about the angels there that are looking down on us, and the angels are saying to themselves or to each other, do you see what they're doing down there? They're not showing their appreciation to the Lord. They're not honoring Him. They're going about life like nothing happened. They're going about life as if He hadn't saved them. He, they're going about life like He hadn't given them everything they have. That somehow they're doing it by themselves, for themselves, and with themselves. It doesn't work that way. Think it with me this morning that everything that you have, Think about it. Close your eyes and think about all the things that you have. From your job, to your home, to your car, to all your possessions, everything. Think about it a second. God gave those to you. You didn't do it by yourself. God gave you the strength and energy to work, to make the money, and to do it. And God is so faithful and He's so good, and yet we just say, oh, I did pretty good. I got this. I did that. We become like that man who is a cheerful taker instead of being a cheerful giver. May the Lord help us to not be like that. To say, Lord, I want to thank you today that you have given me the strength and the health to get up, to go to work, to come to church, and to do all these things. Because a lot of people today are bedridden. They can't come to church. They would love to be here. And I thank God for Sally because I, every time I see her on Sunday, I think about how she's living there at Bethesda 
And she wants to come, and she comes, and she's dedicated to coming. She relies on a ride. She can't get here by herself. You're not going to see Sally driving her car here or getting here on a, on a helicopter or anything like that. She relies on somebody to pick her up. And when she comes, she brings joy to all of us because we're thankful. And she is so thankful to be here, and I'm thankful to be here, and we should all be thankful to be here. And then notice what he says in verse 13. It's quite amazing. He says, For my people have committed two evils. Two evils. Number one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Now that right there just blows me away because how can you reject God, the true fountain of living waters? Jesus says, this water I give to you, this water I present to you. He talked to the woman at the well, and he says, if you drink this water, you'll, you'll never thirst again. And she says, well, Lord, bring us this living water. And he was the living water. He says, out of your inmost being, the Holy Spirit will flow through. And we're thankful this morning for that living water for saving us and the Holy Spirit being within us. And how can we just take that and set it aside and say, no, I don't want it anymore. I don't want it anymore. My people, my people. He calls Israel my people. And he calls us as his church. He says, you're my people too. Israel was God's earthly nation, his earthly people. And we as the church are his spiritual people. And we don't want to commit the same mistakes that they did. In fact, it says in 1 Corinthians 10 that we should learn from their example. These things happen to them as an example. God allowed it to happen for them. And we shouldn't just put them down and say, boy, those Israelites, they were bad. They, they did this and they did that. How about looking at ourselves and seeing how wicked and evil our hearts are? We're his people. And he looks at us and he wants us to live for him and he wants us to be all for him. And he says, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. You know, if you go to a source of water and on the one side you got this little source of water and it's not moving, what happens when you have a little source of water, like a pond, and that water doesn't move, what happens? It stagnates. It stagnates. And when it stagnates, then it breeds what? Those mosquitoes. And then you have the West Nile. And all these things happen because the water has stagnated. It's not moving. And if the water in us is not moving, it stagnates. Our Christian lives can stagnate. They can become dry and callous and cold. May the Lord revive us. May He pour the water of His Holy Spirit on us today so that we'll be revived and we'll be like new people when we... When we go out of here, we'll be like new people. Yes, they have forsaken me. That's the saddest thing. And I have it in my Bible on the top. In, in, it's in quotes uh, in the Bible. It has it written, They have forsaken me. And I'm sure when the Lord said it, He said it with such sadness in His heart. They have forsaken me. How could they do it? How could they change God's? How could they, how could they do that? And yet we, knowing our own hearts, are so bad too. The hymn writer said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, yet thou, Lord, hast deigned to seal it with thy spirit from above. We're like that too. We're prone to wander. 
We're prone to get into problems and difficulties and go our own way in life. And we have to come back to him and say, Lord, forgive me. And he will over and over again forgive us. But he wants us to have the love for him, the devotion for him, the obedience to him. And when we do that, we will be pleasing to him. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And then notice their second mistake, their second sin. The second thing about it is they not only forsook God, the source of all life and living water and everything, but now they've hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns which can hold no water. Now, a cistern is not a term you, you hear used very often in, in uh, polite conversation, as we say. But a cistern is these, is, it's basically like a big pipe and they would use these things or to hold water. It was like a, ta- a water tank, we should say. And so if you wanted to have water, you had it in the cistern, and the cistern held the water, and you could draw water from out of that cistern, and everything would be fine. But what kind of a cistern was it if it's got holes in it, if it's got leaks in it? Pretty soon you pour in water, and as you pour in water, it's going out. It's, it's leaving as fast as it's going in. It has so many holes in it. And that's what they had. They had broken cisterns that could hold no water. Wouldn't that be sad if that was said of our Christian lives? Your life was like a broken cistern. The more you poured in, the less you got out because it went right out again. You know, we all have heard that expression, and it's so true, in one ear and out the other. Now, what does that mean? It means you heard something, you listened to it, you, you took it in, it went in, but it didn't stay very long and it went right out again. And that's the sad thing. Sometimes we can go through our Christian life, we can hear the messages, we can hear the word, and it goes in one ear and it goes out the other as fast as it came in. Broken cisterns. Because there's not a heart for it. If you don't have a heart for the word of God, it's going to go in one ear and it's going to go out the other. But when you have a heart for the word and you have a heart for the Lord and you love him, you are going to spend time with him and you're going to spend time in the word and you're going to enjoy the time and you're going to say, wow, I didn't know I spent that much time in prayer today or in in the word today. And it was a blessing because it's always a blessing. But the devil always says, you got too much to do today. You got too many things on your to-do list. You got to hurry. You got to run. You're late. You're running behind. And the devil feels feels if he can squeeze us and get us into his word, le- into God's word less, he's got us because he knows our day's not going to go well, and he can just pound us and pound us and pound us. And once he's pounded us, then we don't feel good at all, and our spiritual lives go down. But may the Lord help us to be plugged in to the source to be plugged in to the source. One day there was a lady that was a a poor lady and she had her electricity there and they had it set up. And so they started looking at her bills and there was hardly any usage on the electrical bill. And so finally they sent out a a repair person out because there's got to be something wrong with her system that's just not using electricity. So they said, ma'am, we came to check your your electricity. Oh, it's fine. It's fine. The electricity is just fine. But ma'am, we're, we're showing such a little usage here. I mean, it's just like it's barely used. Well, that's right. I say when I get home at night, I, I, uh, I turn on the electricity just long enough to plug in my candles. Just long enough to plug in my candles. 
And sometimes I think we do that in the Christian life. We plug into the Holy Spirit just long enough to plug in the candles, just long enough to do it ourselves, just to get started. It doesn't work. We need to be plugged into the Lord, the full, true power source. Yes, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, which hold no water. Look at verse 32 for a moment. We got a bride here this morning, Lydia, and we've got other brides here in the audience. But listen to what the Lord says here in verse 32 to his people. Can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Now, how many days ago, Lydia, were you married? You were married on the 16th, right? And today is the 20th. That was like four, basically four days ago with the time changed, a little different, but four days ago. Can you imagine Lydia forgetting her bridal outfit, forgetting all the details of the wedding, and forgetting her beautiful bridegroom? It's not going to be, right? It's not going to be. And so the Lord says, even if a virgin was able to forget, my people have forgotten me. I have promised to never leave them, nor forsake them, to never forget them, to always be with them. And what have they done? They've turned their back on me, and they have forgotten me. And God says, days without number. How many days would that be when God says, days without number? That was a long, long time. Because if you get away from the Lord, and you get outside His will, and you backslide, those days pile up. They gather more and more, and it becomes easier and easier to stay away from the Lord, to stay out of His Word, to stay out of prayer, to not fellowship with the saints. That's why we need to be immersed in God's Word. We need to allow the Word of God to, to, to come into our hearts every day. The Scripture says over there in Colossians, and I love it in the third chapter of the book of Colossians, he tells us very clearly about how God's word can, can penetrate our hearts. And he says, he says, let the, in verse 16 of Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. May the Lord encourage us this morning. Personal revival. So I'm going to give you a little, kind of, not an acronym, but I'm going to give you a way to think of it this morning. A prayer that you can make. And, and this is what it was. Lord, shake me. Lord, break me. Lord, take me. And Lord, make me. If you think about those four things, shake, break, Take and make, that's what revival's all about. God will shake us. He will bring things into our lives to shake us up, to not allow us to go through what we've been talking about. Lord, shake me. Shake me. Convict me. That's another word for it. Convict me. Break me. We read a little book, Bill and I, when we were in the intern program, and the book is Lord, Break Me. If you, want to, oh boy, if you want to read a book, it's a simple book, it's a short book, but if you read that book, it talks about 
God breaking us, breaking us. And it's not going to be pleasant. It's not going to be easy. But if we say, Lord, break my will, give me your will, he'll do it. He'll do it. He'll be faithful to do it. So shake me, break me, and then take me, Lord. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my life, Lord. It's not mine anymore. It's your life. Take my life. Revive it. Use it in a big way. And then finally, make me. Make me what you want me to be. So shake me, break me, take me, and make me what you want me to be. And your young people here today, and I love seeing the young people here in the audience today, this message is for you too. You're young. You have your lives ahead of you. And if you live your lives consecrated fully to Christ, then you will make an impact on this world that will be better than any impact of any person out there. They give these prizes to the Nobel Prize winners. They just awarded them this week. And they give the prizes to, to different physicists and, and physicians and scholars and different things like this. And they award them all this money because they've made some kind of impact on the world. Christ made a greater impact than all of them put together. And we, his people, if we're plugged into him and we're revived and we're walking with him and serving him, can have a greater impact than all those put together also. And praise be to God that we have a future and a hope. A future and a hope with the Lord Jesus Christ. So may the Lord encourage us. May he challenge us. And if there's anyone here this morning, I'd like to invite you. I'd like to implore you. Accept Christ today. Because you've been trying it already yourself. You're already using those broken cisterns that can hold no water. The more you try to fill your life with happy things and, and possessions and all kinds of things, people use alcohol and drugs and sex and all these things, and they're not happy. It's amazing. I read a story about Mike Tyson. He was a famous boxer, and he was one who could not find any fulfillment in his life. And it's amazing. And then I found a story too about Harrison Ford. Listen to what Harrison Ford said. They were interviewing him and his movies have resulted in an estimated 2 billion, with a B, 2 billion in ticket sales at the box office, at least at that time when it was written. It's probably even more now. And he expressed his disappointment in material wealth in a recent interview. Ford said, you only want what you do not have. You only want what you do not have. So the more that you have, the more that you want. So you can't be satisfied, but when you have Christ, then you're truly satisfied. But the reporter asked him, he says, well, what don't you have? You know, you're a rich man. You're a famous and successful actor. What don't you have? Ford paused and muttered, peace. I don't have peace. You can't buy it. It only comes from Jesus. And when you have his peace and you have his life and you have all the things he's given, all the other things aren't going to matter. They're not going to matter like they did. And that's why I love that hymn that says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Lord, shake me up. Lord, break me. Lord, take me. 
And Lord, make me what you want me to be. Shall we just close in prayer? Father, we thank you for this message. It wasn't planned. It wasn't thought out a long time ahead of time or anything. But we just thank you that this is what we needed to hear today. What I needed to hear from myself. And I pray, Lord, that you will bring revival to your people. And it will be a revival that starts with me and with each one of us, one soul at a time. And I pray for any here this morning that don't know you, Lord Jesus, as their Savior, that they will accept you as Lord and Savior, and that they will have a peace that passes all understanding. They will have a joy that can't be described. They will have life and new life in Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray as those who are believers that you will revive us, Lord, and use us in a powerful way. Help us not to live for ourselves, for our own will or our own purposes, but help us to live all for you. We ask this in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen.